Hello, my name is Clarence Rick Napier, CEO of 321BizDev LLC, a bilingual consulting firm based in Sacramento County, California. 321BizDev LLC is a sales system and business development company in which we help white collar small business owners uh, increase productivity and increase um, performance. We are a bilingual English Spanish uh, consulting firm and we help uh, business, small business owners across the country and anywhere where the English and Spanish languages are spoken. I can be reached at 833-321-3212 and Jaylene Rodriguez, Vice President in charge of business consulting and she is our bilingual Vice President. She can be reached at 786-697-3400. Today's podcast guest is Valencia Burton and she is the broker of Buddha International Realty uh, based in Tracy, California, and uh, Tracy is, is Tracy is, a, is the hub of what we call the Central Valley up north, and it's uh, and it has roads leading into the San Francisco Bay Area and North South roads throughout the California Valley, Central Valley. So, without further delay, I would like to introduce Valencia Burton, broker of Buddha International Realty. Hello, Valencia. How are you doing today? Hi, Rick. I am doing excellent. Thank you for asking. Hey, and thanks for giving up some of your time uh, this Saturday afternoon here in California. Uh, on the 321 BizDev uh, podcast, we normally ask people you know, about their occupations. But, but first, I would like to know a little about yourself before you became a broker, things such as where you went to school, if you went to college, you know, if applicable, and some of the things you did before you got started in real estate. Well, very interesting. I am a native of East Oakland, which is in California. I went to school, first I went to Far West High School, which is it was back then, it was down the street from Oakland Technical High School. I transferred to Hayward High School and I graduated from Hayward High School in 1994. From Hayward High School, I did a little bit of nursing and that didn't sit well because it just wasn't my calling and I realized it was time for me to do something else. Now, in the interim, I've also done, have done acting. So while I was at Hayward High School, I also did acting and I would go, my mom would take me from Oakland to Los Angeles, back to Oakland, and I would do different acting gigs on the weekend. So I've had a lot of chances to get out, see other things as far as uh, with movement that way. I also, I also, my mom, this is really funny, my mom used to take me to Mexico every weekend because she was an entrepreneur at heart, even though she had a job. And we would buy Jabril and guests jeans and clothes and bring them back and she would sell them here for less than retail of what the stores were charging, but they would be just um, the right price where people would love to get them and she worked at Castlemont High School so she sold them to her students there 
I've done that after I graduated Hayward High School and the nursing. Then I had a few other jobs here and there. And from there, I, around 2021, I had a little baby girl. And once I had my daughter, it was time for me to stabilize a little bit more. So I, I, I was employed with Alameda County Social, Social Services. I worked in the welfare fraud department, which was very interesting. I thought it was going to be like more police type, but in actuality, it was, hmm, let's say, clear, just clerical stuff where people would appeal if they got denied services as far as Medi-Cal and stuff like that. So I did that for a while, and then me and my fiance at the time decided to do a business. So we opened up Zion Cleaning Service and we would do contracts for like Sprint stores and different stuff like that. I think we also did like a Berkeley Farms location. Well, unfortunately, it just didn't balance with what we would spend out in our timing. So we had to close that business down. I still worked for Alameda County Social Services and I wound up transferring to the welfare to work program where I would help issue out payments to people who needed transportation money to get to work and they were transitioning of course from welfare to work. I did that for a while. Very interesting as far as real estate. Real estate has always been something that has been fascinating to me because it was always a symbol of wealth. When I worked for Alameda County Social Services, I had a colleague one day who came to work and both of us were feeling the itch of something different to transition differently into something else. And she brought a classified paper to work. And she was, she was in the section that said hiring real estate agents. And she said, I think I'm gonna, you know, I think I'm gonna go ahead and think about getting into real estate. In my mind, I was thinking the same thing. I didn't say it, but I was thinking, this is interesting. That day, I asked her if I could have those classified papers, and she said, sure. And this is where it began. Awesome, awesome. So that, that's, a, that's a very uh, good diversified background that you had. And it seems like you were always involved with some type of people contact uh, position regardless of what it was, you know, trips to Mexico, dealing with people, buying, buying jeans and selling them back in Oakland and, and working with different uh, departments with the Alameda County. So I can see where you got your, your people experience from. Yes, it definitely is something I, I'm a, I am a, a definite communicator. That is something I used to shy away from I am becoming more of just allowing that to take its expression. And for me, I genuinely acknowledge the human experience of being in contact with others. That, that is something for me that just has to happen. You know, some people are introverted where they don't want to be around anyone. Well, for me, I'm not a complete extrovert, 
but I do like the human experience of being around others, talking with others, the community experience, the neighborhood experience, because I grew up like that, and I just have that naturally within me. Awesome, awesome. So here's my next question. So you, when did you decide that you wanted to launch your real estate career? How did that start? Well, after I got that newspaper clipping from my colleague, I went ahead and I called the company and it was a company in Oakland. I cannot remember the name, but it was on Seminary and MacArthur. I just knew it was on that corner mm -hmm. and they were hiring real estate agents. And I said, what do I have to do? And the lady was a broker. And she said, well, you have to sign up for one of the, the classes. And what happens is, if you decide to take the class, you pay for the class. We'll have somebody here from the, the real estate school. You'll pay for the class. You'll do the class as home study. And if you want to continue, well, if you continue with my company, we will pay after your first or second deal what you paid out for your courses. So I said, that sounds fair. I signed up and I went to this, this course. There was this upstairs area at this real estate building and there was a teacher there from this class. I, it's been so long, I can't remember the name of the class. But what I do remember is that we were all, all of us, whoever had signed in up in there and went in there and we, he said, okay, who wants to move forward with their real estate careers? You can sign up now. And I remember sitting in there thinking, well, I don't have the money to give you all right now. And at that very moment, I didn't shy away from it. I just remember I had this epiphany. Just allow, just allow, and just see maybe something there can be worked out. I waited to the end of the class where everybody had left, the little seminar they had, and the guy, he said, so do you want to sign up? I said, yes, but I don't have this money. And he said, well, maybe, looks like we, may can, we can do some alternative options here. And I said, well, can I cut up the payments into maybe three payments, but still get started? He said, sure, I think we can do that. So awesome. that's what I did, I wrote him a check, and I had those other two payments and I got started. That is awesome. And see, what, what I get from that, Valencia, is that you, you asked, you said how, I mean, you made a deal. You said, you made your first deal, by the way, <laughs> in real estate. You said, how can I make this happen even though I don't meet the full requirement as was originally stated? And, and, the, pro, and the person said, yes, we can make, we can make a deal to, to collect those payments in, in thirds. So you made, that was really your first real estate deal, actually. <laughs> you were, you were yes. negotiating. <laughs> I love it. Yes. So here's my next question. So this is like a broad question I want to ask you in terms of, you know, when you started and what you see now, but what did you see in the real estate industry in the beginning and kind of like summarize what do you see now? And we have some, I have some other questions I want to ask you, but can you just summarize what you saw when you started and what you see now? When I started real estate, I saw it was right at the, the, 
the first part of before that the market was getting ready to, to just soar. It was 2002 when I received my real estate license, February 2002. However, I started a little bit before that, right after I got my license, I started around, I would say, two, that January. So about January 2002 is when I started getting, like, you know, going, seeing who was, who did, who would accept me as a real estate agent. I had no experience. And by this time, I was transitioning out of Alameda County Social Services. So I went to a boutique office. And what I saw was that a lot of the big offices, they had desk fees. I saw that a lot of people had way more experience than I did. So for me, initially, I saw in the market a lot of movers and shakers. And those are the people who have tons of clients and they always get referrals and transactions are closing. I saw that. But then there was me with no clients. And so from the initial standpoint, I wanted to jump into with the movers and shakers. So what I did in the beginning was I made sure that I learned everything I could. I actually learned about loans. A lot of realtors and brokers don't know anything about loans. I had the opportunity of working for free for a broker at the time because he needed loan processing assistance. And I said, well, I'll do it. I didn't require any money. I just wanted the experience. And because of it, I started finding out what banks wanted, what underwriters looked for. And so the way I viewed real estate would be completely different from another real estate agent or broker because they didn't jump into the bottom portion of that foundation of a real estate transaction, which is the most important, the money. Mm -hmm. So as I learned that, I learned it organically by making errors. Those errors made me get better and better. So once my license came, my broker at that time said, okay, it was a small boutique bro bro brokerage. He said, you can start doing real estate now since your license is here. I said, perfect. At that point, I had that other experience from continuing with the loans. And even though my license came in February, I still continue to want to know about the loan process because I needed to know about this transaction that was happening from A to Z. It gave me more of an outlook of what I could do for my client and the service I could bring to them. And naturally, I just have this need of, well, I need to know. Sometimes I have that that goes on. It helped me tremendously, tremendously. And I was able to be in mentor, in, in, in mentor settings without even knowing it. People would attract to me. People would come to me, agents that came in the office, many times came to that boutique office because they liked me. I was personable with them. I was patient with them. I listened to them, which most people do not listen. They may hear you, but they don't listen. Mm -hmm. So this made me stand out. My mom was my one of my biggest cheerleaders in real estate, so I had 
someone cheering me on with clients. Hey, my daughter just got her license. She is a good <laughs> real estate agent. You sh- do you you know you should go talk to her. And my mother went a step further. She would get their phone number. She would like do all of a lot of the the pre prepping and then send it to me. This helped me tremendously because a couple of deals that she sent to me, I actually closed. It took a little time, but I did close them. So in the beginning, the real estate that I saw was a little bit different from as it moved along into where we are now. The technology was a little different. Mm-hmm. We drove clients out. There were virtual tours, but many of us still drove clients out because clients still needed to see, is this where I want to live? There is an energy within each of us that feels a house or a home. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that they needed to feel and see. Technology will never take the place of that. But that's mm-hmm. another story. So with the technology that we had, it's pretty much, you know, you did contracts online. All of that was amongst the whole industry. But you, like I said, you had movers and shakers, movers and shakers. So I watched movers and shakers too to see what they were doing, how did they act. And I also went to um, meet with people at other offices that had big names, you know, like the Coldwell Bankers and the Interos and the Century 21s. And for me, I just did well with the smaller boutique offices. And it it was because I just felt like it was more commercialized and I really needed a more personable approach because the way I learned is a little different from everyone else. I know that a lot of those companies, they have the creditability and the branding, but it does not stop you even at a boutique office from getting clients because if you have that customer service, you can still attract. So now, as I went into the market in the middle part where the housing market was just, they called it the Nina market, no income, no assets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Nina was flourishing. And people who could not afford houses bought houses. It was pretty much anything went. And as I went into that market, I felt like I was in the market, but I was not in the market. There was a part of me that felt like it was a movie being played. And I was like in self-observation. So there were many things that I saw and I was like, I can't believe this person doesn't have a job and they just bought a million dollar house. I can't believe, you know, it was just like, it was profound, the stuff that I was seeing. Literally, it was like, oh my God. For me, I was, at that point, people would come and say, hey, I got 50 clients, or hey, I have 100 clients. Well, if you know anything about me, you know that all money is not good money. And so I would have reservations about things. And it was because if it didn't feel right, and I had that gut instance, I would just no, thank you. I wouldn't act like I was better. I just would say, no, thank you. I saw and I tried to help as many clients as I could. The market was just spiraling out of control. And I just remember, I I would make sometimes $60,000 a month, $40,000 a month. 
and coming from making forty, maybe forty-two thousand dollars a year, and I made forty thousand dollars on one deal. That's pretty big. Mm-hmm. So you know, my lifestyle dramatically changed, and it was for the better. You know, for my family. Real estate, as it continued on, we had a market collapse, the housing collapse. Well, in that, it was very, it was a strain. It was a big strain because I didn't run away from my clients. I stood there and tried to be the person of my word. You know, my clients was like, "Oh my God!" You know, many of them that could afford their houses now, they might have had some issues with their job. They might have had because、um, once the housing market collapsed, a lot of jobs fell off with that.、Mm-hmm. So now there was that type of market where. I tried to do the best I could for clients as far as resources. <clears throat> excuse me. As far as you know, the modifications had not come really strong yet. They had not put in that infrastructure yet. So a lot. Some of my clients did lose houses. Some of them were. A lot of them were able to keep them. The ones that did lose the houses, they were. Fully, I had already talked with them. They fully knew where they were, what they needed to do. It was not like something just happened to me, and I don't know what happened. I would talk to my client. Can you afford to keep this at this point? Yes or no? They would say. One of them said no. I said, okay, let's look at your game plan. I didn't just leave them. You know、mm-hmm. what I mean? I stayed with them. And this is one of the reasons why I still have my license, and this is one of the reasons why I still have clients who will look for me, because many realtors and brokers they just left because it was happening to them too, with them losing houses and stuff, and they didn't even know how to stand there for their clients. I'm not faulting them because they were going through something. I was going through something. I lost houses too. You know,、mm-hmm. my credit was compromised as well. But you you have to try to stand strong as much as you can and move through these market cycles. I did not know at that time that the market, real estate market, had cycles. So this was my first up market, and this was my first down market. One of the things that I did was I went to a bookstore, and I, my husband, my husband is an avid reader. He loves to read. So I went to the bookstore with him, and he said, "Let's get some books on real estate." Well, we did, and one of the books started talking about when there's a down market or foreclosures, then banks look for agents. And this is how I was able to go and transition into another market. I found out that I would have to take all of what I had and come down a practical source, and that was just、uh, instead of having a Mercedes. I went to the Nissan Sentra.、Mm-hmm. It was a four-cylinder and practical enough for me to do broker price opinions, which many realtors know exactly what that is. In a foreclosure foreclosure market, a broker price opinion is what is going to be needed on that foreclosed house for the bank. I started doing that way ahead of a lot of other brokers, and so because I was transitioning out and I was able to adjust. The market as it collapsed and the foreclosures came up, I started getting foreclosure listings from the bank. 
it, at this time, the people who laughed at me for doing a broker price opinion for $50 versus getting a deal done for $40,000, now they, they didn't even get $50. Now they were <laughs> without anything. And how are you getting those foreclosure listings? Well, mm. I did the work. I transitioned out. I took the path of least resistance. And with that, I was able to come back Sure, it was not easy. I had a family, but me and my husband stuck together and I was able to move forward. The foreclosures started coming in and the banks wanted me to pretty much take care of these houses, make sure that they were maintenance, get the bids in for to do whatever needs to be done and sell the house. And awesome. that market Yes, that's I went into that market. Hey, if you can um, talk about talk about technology, because I know you mentioned it a few minutes earlier, and uh, you know I have the opinion also that technology has a role, but it shouldn't be the primary role with dealing with with people, especially when they're buying you know four hundred, five hundred million dollar properties. Can you speak on how you feel about technology and real estate? I believe there is a place for technology. And what I mean by this, our lives are so busy. Emails are great. It's great to be able to send documents via DocuSign and how the, the technology that they have for a lot of the uh, realtors now, you can just do the contract and send it straight to your client. Because of the pandemic right now, a lot of clients were not taking, you don't take them to different homes and so you can look at more virtual the you know neighborhood you can get more of the information off the computer technology you know the social media and whatnot but here is what always stands true technology will never replace the human experience the human experience is between two people where that connection is, I can hear you. When you are with a client, many times you probably have left your home and you have done laundry, you have done whatever you do in your house. You take that with you to your client. And so as your client is talking to you, many times you have all of that and then your client talking. There's no form of listening. So the client is saying one thing and you being a professional, you thinking one thing. Technology, because sometimes it's because it doesn't have that human experience, it will, there's a breakdown. There's a total breakdown and unless you know how to listen. And until people know how to listen, it's going to still be difficult with that human experience to happen with technology. Because yep. part of our human experience is talking and listening, communicating, listening. But in order, you have to be a good listener. And I'm finding out that a lot of people are not. Yep, yep. Hey, you mentioned something we talked about maybe a couple of weeks ago when you told me that you had a, a, someone that you helped maybe 10, 15 years ago who uh, took <laughs> almost drastic measures to find you. Can you please share that story with our listeners, how this person 
would not move forward with another agent and they wanted to find you and then they finally found you. Can you can you share that story, Valencia? Yes. Last year, around the summertime, towards the end of it, I received an email from a client that I sold a property to about 17 years ago. This client, she told, she, she emailed me and she said, hi, is this, you, is this your email, Valencia? And I said, I responded back, yes, who am I speaking with? And she told me who she was. It was a client of mine. And she, I, I, I asked her when she wanted to talk that was most convenient for her. And she told me we set up to talk. Once I talked to her on the phone, she said, you know, I've been looking for you. And I said, really? And she said, yes. She said, I want to buy a house now. And I'm still in that property you sold me like 17 years ago. I've never missed the mortgage payment and I'm ready to advance and move on into a house. I've been looking for you and I don't do social media. So that didn't work for me to find you that way. But you had this AOL email address and I wondered if she still had that address. So I reached out and here you were. She said, now, my father said, hey, I have a great broker you can work with. And she said, no, I'm going back to Valencia. Valencia walked step one to the end of steps from step A to step B with me on this property when I first bought it. And I liked her. I knew everything that was happening. She was patient with me. She was transparent. And I just have to go back to her. And when she called me and I spoke to her, it felt like she lit, ignited the fire within me. Mm, and the mm, reason mm. I say that it felt like she ignited the fire in me because it, I was able to be grateful. I give service to people without thinking that it's that type of service because I treat people the way I want to be treated. But I didn't know how significant it was until when she called me, it was a validation. Mm -hmm. And someone who remembers you, that's almost two decades of how you treated them and how you worked with them means a lot. So that tells you who I am as a broker. That is such an awesome story. And I remember, you know, when I was you know, doing my thing in, in real estate, it's, it is so refreshing uh, for a past client to say, yes, I've been I've been looking for you and I want you to help me, you know, with another transaction. That is so refreshing. And you're right. That's that's a, that's like a great validation uh, achievement for a client to call and uh, and look for you. So so I'm almost like a detective looking for someone. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Absolutely. So here's my here's my next question. And this question right here. Valencia, I know it's going to be like a sort of a sore point for you, but here it is. I'm going to ask it. And I, and I wanted to ask this question so that listeners can know, so agents can know, so buyers and sellers can know about how to treat people. So what would be the ideal configuration where brokers make money and their agents also make money so that they can put food on the table? 
And you know why I'm asking you this question, so please talk about it. This is one of the reasons I had to get a broker's license. I used to live in Los Angeles. After housing collapse, I moved to Los Angeles with my family. There was a broker in Valencia, California. He wanted, he had this big, he was expanding and he had this big thing that said, agents hiring now. And when he would sit you down, he'd say, I want you to make a million or $2 million this year. It was all the hype. Well, I understand hype very well. But it was okay. I understood he was expanding. So I, I was signed on with the company. My agenda for working with this company was to share. And what I mean about that, what I mean with that is this. I realized that I, in order to expand, I needed to expand myself. That means more people. I cannot be in 10 places at one time. So. I started looking at his expansion as my expansion mm-hmm. because I had people in, in the bank area, you know, with the foreclosures at that time, they still were going on. I had relationships. I said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get these relationships going back again so I can get these real estate owned listings from the bank. And so I was sitting in his office one day and there were all these agents. And I recall he made it to where you had to do two, you had two, at least two open houses you had to do per month for his listing. Well, he was getting his listings from the bank. They were foreclosure listings, okay? So each one of these agents had to do this open house. And if if a buyer came in, you could have the buyer. Okay, so I did the open houses. I did one and the person who was going to take, we would share. So I would do two hours and the other person would come in and do two hours. What happened was the other person that came in, I know how to keep people in the house, right? When they come in the open houses. But the other person that came in, she didn't bring any food and she had a sore look on her face. And I realized at that point, she is not motivated. Number one, she doesn't want to do it because, okay, yeah, sure, she'll get a buyer, but this man who's the broker has this listing. Not only does he have this listing, he has a hundred listings. He cannot be in a hundred places at one time, so he's having his agents do it. But what happens to the agent, their time is worth something too. It should not be in vain. To me, that wasn't fair. She came in and I left. I, I told her, I said, it's, I see you didn't bring any food, so you can keep the food that I brought. You can have it. And she's looking at me like, how are you so happy? You're not getting paid. He has to listen. You know, this is the morale that was happening. But I had my own way of thinking, and so that wasn't my way of thinking. My way of thinking was, I, I need all these agents that he's hiring because I can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, going into his office, the ladies were around and I said, hey, I would like to know how many of you would like to be co-listing agents with me as I get foreclosure um, listings that come in from some of my contacts at the bank. All of a sudden, everybody was like, I, I will, I will, I will. 
And I was like, perfect, because I really need to share. I need to share these deals. I cannot do all this on my own. And I look at myself as being able to bring in the business and you guys can take on a lot of the clients, the listings, because I can't do all those open houses. Well, the assistant of the broker, she happened to be listening to me. And she told that broker what I did. He called me the next day and told me, don't ever come back in his office again. Mm -hmm. I said, why? He would not give me an explanation. So I sat in silence and I thought, and I said, oh, wow, was it because I was going to share my deals with the other agents? And I I was going to make him look bad? Well, number one, you should be grateful that you have agents to come out and do these open houses. Why wouldn't you allow those agents to co-list with you? It is because of those agents and the magnitude of numbers you have that these banks are giving you the inventory anyway. So that's a fair exchange. And sometimes I think in business, we need to take greed out of it and put in fairness. Because when you share, then you can expand. But many people don't understand sharing because in business it's take 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 i i i i i but there's no we when they teach you in sports they teach you that it's not about the i it's about the we well that should be the same thing that should be in business teams win championships well if you want your broker brokerage to win championships sometimes you can you can take that concept and put it in there it's called sharing because in a mm-hmm. team, you all share the ball. Why don't we all share the listing? Why don't, if I have 100 listings, why don't I have these people co-list? They're doing the open houses anyway. So basically what you're saying is this broker had these agents out there in Southern California, which is not the cheapest, the cheapest place to live by a long stretch. This broker had these agents out there at these open houses and these agents were not making any money on the listings. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? That's a fair assessment. That's a fair assessment. Yes, assessment. And that right there is where the morale went down with his agents. And so you don't keep agents that way. Mm, mm, mm. You don't drive motivation that way. You don't drive inspiration that way. It's just hype. I am not faulting that broker on how he chose to run his operation because I don't get into the judgment. I always look for what is the best way that we can do this and for the highest good. Mm -hmm. I've shared deals. I've had properties in the past where I could have listed them myself because it was my property I was selling. But I actually chose another agent to make that money. And people Mm -hmm. would ask me, why are you doing that? You can make all of that money. Well, I'm going to make money anyway. Why isn't it okay to share with another person? And that builds communities. Small Mm -hmm. businesses are the cornerstone of this country. And it's not what people are used to because they've seen all these big corporations come in. But these small businesses slash agents are the ones that can help with the, if they're doing well and they can bring food to their table, they are helping the community thrive. But if you have one person that's thriving and no one else is thriving, that doesn't look good. 
That no, doesn't. That's not a good environment. No, it sure doesn't. And that that scenario, that situation that you mentioned over the last few minutes, I see that so often, and that's why I think a lot of agents are, you know, lacking motivation, lacking, like I say, fire. You know, perhaps they only have like a hundred dollars left in the bank, and they're out, you know, trying to do real estate, and they're not working with the with the more giving type broker. So, so thanks for that explanation. Here's my next question, which kind of leads into the previous question: Why do you think there's so much broker hopping, where an agent is working with uh, XYZ uh, brokerage? Now, I want to say if there's a brokerage called XYZ. I was just using it as an example, <laughs> but a broker working for X, Y, Z, and then six months later he's working for ABC, and then you know next year she's working for DEF. Why do you think there's so much broker hopping going on? There's a lot of broker hopping because it's like a machine, and. When you go into the industry, if you go to sometimes the bigger companies, they have a machine for everything. I call it a machine because you, there's the training, there's the calling, everything that's pretty much standard of what everybody goes into. And you don't go outside of that machine, which means you don't go outside of that box. But what happens is most agents, when they get their license. They have. They look at it as okay. Now I'm going to go be the successful agent. Or many of them are scared and afraid. I really think that there's a disconnect between brokers and agents. Many times, number one, the training is not personable type of training. It's the training that that machine has created. Okay. Number two. You have a situation with agents where they—you have to remember—there's a gestation point to anything, and agents—they want it. We, we're used to fast food. We're used to fast everything. So I want it now. It's called instant gratification, and I think a part of that training that comes back needs to show the progress steps towards that, and it needs to be in a way to where. That agent can understand. They understand that. Okay, wait a second. I'm getting into this business. I'm going to go step one, step two. Now, if this is a brokerage where they have a lot of listings that are coming in, funnel those to the agent. If you don't want to go to the, the the agent that hasn't really shown that they are serious, then funnel them to the agents that have say went through certain steps and now they're ready to take on. That client, you know, there's gra- gratitude is very important because mm-hmm. then you will put forth that effort towards whatever client someone gives you. But if you're not grateful, then you'll lose that client because a lot of times you wasn't supposed to get it in the first place. So there can be uh, there can be what I would call a more personable type of training and how. If you're getting listings into that brokerage, how they can go into some of the different agents, so then they can eventually have yes, they have deals, they're getting training, and the best training to me is hands-on. You can talk to somebody and train them and train them, but until they have that hands-on experience, they're not going to know what it's like when somebody is at the end of the deal and they're paying five hundred thousand dollars for a house and they just got scared. 
they're not going to know what it's like when their client goes, oh, such, you know, my mother just passed away, but they're supposed to be signing docs the next day. They, all of that is through personable training. And a lot of times people don't get personable training. You know, it's See. like, that is very important. And many people don't want to take the time out. Once again, it's instant gratification. Fast, 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 fast food, fast clothes, fast this, fast money. You know, we have to slow down enough to become 100% present and then look at it from all of our senses. Well, wait a second here. Now that I have you here in your present and you're breathing, now you're understanding, okay, and this is what we have, this is what we have these listings. We can funnel them in the different agents that we have. You know, I like the word you used, Valencia, when you said a gestation period. I love that. And in, in the professional sales world, uh, when I used to work in corporate America, we called that the learning curve. You, were, you, were the, you have been the first person to give me a second word that means learning curve. Like you have to go through this process, just like you know, uh, um, uh, a mother giving birth. There's a gestation period. So that is a great one. Well, thank you for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we just finished talking about, or you just finished talking about some of the things you've seen in real estate. So my next question, I have just one other question after this one. How does Valencia work with agents? What is what is the the, the ideal situation, your plan of working with agents uh, how you do now in terms of when you get real estate deals in, because I think you have a, a, a more so higher level of work-life balance than I would say most agents. How, how do you work with, 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 with agents and how do you work with uh, consumers in your business? So right now in my business, most of what I've been doing is referring out. And this is because of well, I'm a mother with five children. With that being said, the amount of time I used to have when I first got my license is, I have about 10% of that time now. With that, now I look at myself in a way where I can connect with people, but more of a, like I said, referral type and to me, that actually helps more people grow because now it's not just about me. It's about move, you know, thriving, other people thriving as well, building communities. And I look forward to connecting, a, I, I look forward to connecting the buyers as well as the sellers with great agents, great brokers, and people who are doing business that they can take them out and give them more of the time than I would be able to at this point. But it's, it's at a point right now where I'm not gonna give you to anybody either. It's gonna be someone that is going to give that preferable customer service experience that I would have given you. I know that a lot of times I cannot duplicate myself 100%, but at least 95% or 99%, you will get that. And there's someone that I just recently referred, and what I had to do was go back in and kind of be the middle ground to merge 
the listening part of what's happening with the broker and the client. Right now, I think it's very important, and this is something that people still have a hard time grasping. It's very important to listen. And I have the skills now of listening and being able to delegate. And it's just because I I run an empire. If you have five children, you're running an empire. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So... For me to stand here I and deal with that many characters in my home, you know, as little people, I can deal with many sources of people. And I know how to be able to bring people together in spite of egos, because we all have them. And so now for me moving forward, I, 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 my vi- it's not even my vision. I, I say it's a vision that's been given to me. And it's to help this world to bring forth better communities, to build better communities, to build sharing through business. Business is huge. And because it takes up a lot of part of our lives, if we can bring a certain type of, say, standard into this type of business where not only are we helping others, but we're giving great service. I think we can do some good to the world. This pandemic has done one thing for sure. It's made you sit down and stop. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything that you have been used to doing without all these restrictions. And what does that tell us? That tells us that in this world that we are transitioning into, we need to listen. It's a very basic thing, but it's so basic that it's overlooked. I see you're right it about daily. that. Yeah, you're, you're so right about that. That's one thing. It's it's caused people to focus uh, more on, on the good things that they need to focus on instead of just uh, pencil whipping things or, uh, you know, treating consumers like they're mannequins. <laughs> I like to say, you know, like, like they're right. just just numbers like they're just you know a lot of salespeople say it's a numbers game well not 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 during this pandemic you can't just say you're going to go through 100 people to find you know five because guess what you may not even find those 100 people number one because everybody's kind of doing their own thing um you know undercover and 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 uh, they're, they're doing their own things about you know out not being outside like they used to so right. you can't say you can you can connect with 100 people so easily there's it's right. going to be a new strategy, not just a mechanical strategy, but there has to be a, a mental strategy. And like you said, more of an emotional uh, community based, you know, strategy where you're really thinking about how can you help people more so than uh, how can you get your numbers? Exactly. Exactly. The the thing that I come and will bring is listening. And, and a person might say, that is the most simplest thing I have ever heard. Well, it's because it's underrated. If I, you know, I am a broker and I have a broker's license. I don't toss my broker's license around like I am higher than thou. And I have all these adjectives behind me, you know, or I have this and that. No, the client is very important. And I think we've forgotten that. 
That client is why you're here. And so your titles and statuses need to be removed and you need to sit down as a professional. I'm not taking anything away from anybody's title or status. I know what it took to get there. But you have to come to a common ground with the client. And many times you cannot have perceived already what you're going to think. You need to allow that one word allow is so powerful because it opens you up to a world of possibilities. This is how I've been successful with clients. I'm, 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 I'm one of the type of people and I had this conversation with my husband and I, it's funny and I don't tell people this often, but I do believe in miracles. Mm-hmm. And because of it, I believe in that world of possibility. I believe in allowing. And as you allow, then you can see things start coming together. It's called the path of least resistance. And now all of a sudden this client is like, that was a great experience because it was even more than the house. But somebody appreciated them on a human level. Now that's powerful. That is so powerful, that last statement, because I I try to, you know, talk to my clients, my business clients uh, like that in, in terms of letting them know that there's like uh, there's there's this uh, tangible thing that you can you can give to people in terms of the product or service, but then there's this intangible uh, uh, d- delivery of the product or service, and that's what people want. They want that intangible, great sales experience that you can't touch or feel, but you but you but you know you, you know you received it. You know you exactly. can't you can't touch it. You can't, you can't, you know, put your fingers on it, but you know that you just received it. So in closing, what comments, uh, what, what do you want to say? Uh, and please give your, your phone number. And I know we're working on a website. I think it's going to be Val Speaks Real Estate, ValSpeaksRE.com. So in closing, what do you have to tell our listeners as we close this show and, and perhaps get ready for the next one in a few days or a week? I would tell the listeners, that this is a great way to help move this world forward. If you are a buyer or a seller, and many of you have complained in the past about our world and what's going on in it, send me an email when it's time for you to to sell that, that house or you wanna purchase. Send me an email so that way I can connect you with the services that you need. So now you know you're building community. You hold, you as a buyer and seller, you hold so much power. You don't even know it most of the time, but you do. And that power that you hold can be intentional where you go into the world and go, I want to do some good. How can I do some good? Share. Booty International Realty came about because of that vision of sharing with other companies, helping other companies grow and understanding that there is a level of, there's a standard of, of that experience that a person should have, that customer service that a person should have that should go to everybody, not just because your house is 200000 not because your house is a million, not because your house is 700000 but because everyone deserves it. So I would say and direct you, email me, buddharealty at gmail.com. That is the easiest way of getting a hold of me. 
just because, like I said, I am running an empire with five children, but I, I do want to do some good in the world and I want to help connect with you and we can help the world thrive. We can help others thrive through this. It's very important for us right now to know that this, is, this pandemic is not just a COVID-19. This is a purpose for us to do this right together. This is our time. And Buddha International Realty is a company that is for the people. It's for building communities. It's for servicing. And this is something that we need now more than ever. It's not about branding. This is really authentic. This is truly about us. Notice I didn't say I. I said us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Valencia Burton, a broker at Buddha International Realty. I want to thank you for being a guest on the 321 Biz Dev uh, podcast. And if people want to send that email, it is. Uh, uh, can you repeat your email address one more time? It is Buddha, B-U-D-D-H-A, Realty, R-E-A-L-T-Y, at gmail.com. And if you if you want to call me and, and get in touch with uh, Valencia, you can always reach me at 833-321-3212. So Valencia, I want to thank you for your time this Saturday afternoon. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for having me. 